This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. This is Alex Del Sordo with the Rower's Choice Podcast, and I am with Nick Bernard. Uh, he's a project engineer here at the Sykes Factory in Australia. We're going to uh, talk about the operation here, what he does on a day-to-day basis, but more specifically, um, the engineering and the innovation that is put into not only the Sykes boat, but to the new boat that we just launched at Resolute. So you're going to hear a little bit of, about his background, understand what he does day to day, and uh, it will give you better insight into the decisions that we made behind the change at Resolute. So Nick, thanks for being here. No worries. Thanks for having me. No, I love the Australian accent. <laughs> I think people are going to they're going to want to listen to this just because of the accent. Um <laughs> And, and, and it's impressive what you guys do here. And really, it's amazing work. Um, but tell our listeners sort of how you got to where you are. So you, I know you're a rower. Um, so get me from when you started rowing to today. Yep. So uh, I, I started rowing when I was about uh, 10 or 12 years old. I started as a cox, uh, actually coxing for my, my dad who used to row on a weekend. Um, oh, oh. I then rode through uh, through school up until a reasonably competitive level. What school did you row at? So I rode at Scotch College, Victoria, which is a... Has well, a pretty competitive. Very competitive, yeah. They've uh, competed on the international stage a couple of times. They've won Henley a couple of times recently. And what boats were you in at uh, the time? So I was in uh, the first eight there um, as the captain of boats. Um, going from, from rowing myself, I rode a little bit after school, but mainly turned my attention to coaching. Um, and I coached uh, at Melbourne Girls Grammar, which is a, a, a Melbourne-based private girls school. I uh, worked my way up through uh, junior and intermediate coaching to mm. become a senior coach there, as well as the boatman. So I looked after all the equipment. Was uh, it all Sykes boats? We were all Sykes boats, yes. And have you rowed in other brands? I have rowed in other brands. I've rowed in Packers Hudson's. I have rowed in a Felipe Single uh, and obviously in lots of different Sykes boats. So I, I just want to know, I mean, like, look... I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you're wearing a Sykes jersey right now, but uh, how does how does some of the Sykes boats that you rode compare to the other brands? I mean, is there, I mean, clear differences? How do you feel about them? Because I've rode them all, and, and I have my own, you know, I have my own interests here, but how about, I mean, what do you think? I think in Australia, especially, um, the Sykes boat has an incredible reputation for standing up to the, the rigors of the Australian environment. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me... Because I'm, I, as an engineer, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm quite objective. We, we have gone into a lot of detail and depth looking at the performance of a whole range of competitors' boats. Um, and we know objectively that our boat outperforms, uh, or sorry, our range of boats out, can outperform a lot of competitors here in Australia. Um, unfortunately, rowing is quite a subjective game. It is. So um, we we see that uh, not all of our customers agree with us. I mean, that's, that's and how does that make you feel as the engineer? Because you know, you know, with with data in front mm-hmm. of you and 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 tests, you can prove that you know the boat here is better. How does that make you feel when you have people tell you, "Oh no, 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 you're wrong, Mister Engineer"? <laughs> well, look, I think the 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 underlying science is is quite complicated and and, mm-hmm. and quite uh, technical, and it's there's. Uh, there's a reason why people don't understand it because because even the the people who know the most about the sport, you know, they still have very large gaps in their in their knowledge and, and what they understand and what they don't and, and I'll be the first to admit that I've got plenty of gaps in in my understanding of, of what makes a boat go fast, uh, etc. Um, we we try and bridge that gap by as much as possible going out and communicating with customers. I've been on many. 
um, sales trips with with our Australian sales manager, trying to well James, right? Yeah, with James, with James yep, um, dealing with uh, customers that have have problems with their boats. You know, it could be something as simple as the the adjustment of their foot stretcher or, or the annoyance they have with trying to move the slides. So so let me ask, so as the engineer, right? So you go out in these sales meetings and things. Do you immediately then start thinking how do I improve the boat? From based on these conversations with people, yeah, absolutely. Like at any any point in time, we're looking at probably twenty five different R and D projects on a whole wow. range of different things in the boat. Um, you know, I don't think people knew that. Quite okay. honestly, I don't think people know how many projects are going on at one point here at Sykes. Because you just assume that um, everybody knows what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. I mean, at any given time, twenty twenty five, and now you're adding Resolute to the mix because yeah, you utilize all your skills, but. So, okay, so then you've, you've done coaching, you've gotten yourself to the senior level. Uh, when did you start here at Sykes? So I, while I was coaching, um, I was studying uh, both a Bachelor of Commerce and a Master's of Mechanical Engineering. Um, and it was through my connection with Sykes from my boatman and my coaching days that I got involved on, a, on a quite a technical level. So I was doing a, a Master's of, of Mechanical Engineering, as I said, specializing in fluid dynamics. Mm. So I did a number of research projects um, for Sykes, including my year-long graduate research project, where we tried to develop a in-the-field way to test the drag coming off a single skull. Wow. So me and two other guys, we uh, essentially built a, a rig that would allow us to drive a single skull in front of a just a coaching launch or a coaching tinny. Um, and the recording systems, I, I guess, they were able to calculate the amount of resistance that was being faced by the speedboat trying to push this single Holy through the cow. water. And that was done on the river here, just in the um, at the and base. And what was of the result? I mean, what were the results from that so test? So we got the um, maybe your listeners are aware of a, of a scientist called Valerie Kleshnev who runs the bio row. Um, uh, the BioRow articles and, and research. He's probably one of the most scientific approaches to rowing research and, and understanding. Um, he had published some preliminary uh, resistance numbers or drag numbers for uh, single skulls done based on some testing in a, in a drag tank in, in Russia. Mm. We got within 10% of those values um, and got our system to the point where it was uh, reliable uh, continuously uh, experiment to experiment before we ran out of time how it, many boats did you do this on so we tested uh we tested three different singles we tested a Sykes single uh hudson single and a uh what we call a race one single here which is like a tub skull which gave us a a, a big step in resistance change so so um, which one outperformed look i'd have to actually go back i think from the results that we got the hudson and the Sykes single were we weren't able to determine the difference between them as I said, it was only a graduate research project with a limited time window. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the system to be within 10% of accuracy um, with the intention that we would further develop the, uh, the project either as a graduate research project for somebody else or for Sykes to pick up um, in the future. Unfortunately, with all the other projects that we've had going on, we haven't had a chance to revisit that, um, that project. That's really impressive. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. So... You got your job here. How many years have you been at Sykes? So including the research project, this will be my about four and a half years now. Yeah. Wow. So you've been doing this for, okay. So this is your career. I mean, this is, you've, yeah. been, you've been here. So I've been in rowing my, my whole life, whether it's um, whether it's rowing myself or, or working as a coach or, or working um, as an engineer. So yeah, I've been very much in touch with it for a long time. I, I think, 
yeah, I've interviewed a lot of people at this point. You haven't seen all the interviews yet, but I've interviewed a lot of people. And there's this thing I just keep going on. It's like a calling. Like you had a calling. You knew that this was what you wanted to do. And it's it's energizing to meet someone who outside I pretty primarily interview coaches and some other people in the industry, but you're an engineer. You've been doing this more than half of your life and you you love every minute of it. I mean, that's really exciting to be a part of and to see. And I feel that you have that here at the shop as well at Sykes. Do you, do you agree that yeah, there's well, people here that just absolutely love what they're doing and come here every day excited and happy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just have to look at, at Stuart Wilson, who's our general manager, who's been here for, for longer than I've been alive. And every day <laughs> he's still out on the floor tinkering with, with some part or some product or he's looking at or you know at uh, or rigging or, or something awesome. or, or where look he and I are looking at video of how one of our boats is performing and discussing you know what we could improve and and to see that on <laughs> that happens every day because some customers made a comment to him and so we, we, we might chase the rabbit down the hole seeing um, what we can do for a little while um, I, I, again I didn't even think that that was the case I mean you have how many engineers in that room three four of you yeah so it's kind of three uh, full-time engineers working in in a variety of capacities um i kind of run the r d side of of the engineering um which involves everything from hull design and 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 hydrodynamics to um, individual components um so so name a project that you've done recently for the sykes boats like what's something that you've worked on so there's a, a project coming up at the moment that we will be releasing a uh, a change to the the profile of the aluminium rigger um so that's been a 18 month long research project in, involving um looking all the way back from the original peach or biomech data that's come out of the AIS. Um, and we built a custom built uh, rigging, uh, sorry, rigger testing table, which I is- I saw that, that was which, impressive. So I would confidently say we're the only boat builder in the world that has a, a table uh, that can give us the level of knowledge and understanding of how the rigger is moving um, relative to the boat uh, at any stage through the stroke cycle, which not only gives us a good understanding for how to design new components, but when we do design them, we can then put them on the table and immediately know within five or 10 minutes whether they'll stand up to the rigors of, of, uh, of, of in-service loading, I guess, or wow. what our customers are gonna see. Wow, I, can't, I, did see, I did see the machine, I did see the new profile. Um, I'm, from a, from a person who just really cares about the way things look in a boat, I, I this is it's fantastic. What you guys have created is impressive. Uh, when do you think it's going to be launched? So in the next couple of months, we should see these um, start to roll out of the Sykes factory. Um, it's as always, they always take longer than you think to get sure. them get them to market. But we we try and launch products. Um, in between in between racing seasons so the as the uh, you know we're now in February so as the racing season rolls down to a close in Australia in March we'll, we'll probably start to implement that into production so people buying boats for next season will start to see these uh, riggers on their boats so I want to change gears in the whole resolute thing um, you are a major part of the change of the Resolute hull, right? And the components of the, of, of the boat inside, right? So walk me through how you guys made the decisions that you've made to the changes of the Resolute boat. Yeah, so as I said before, um, we've had, we, led by Stuart, we, we've spent a, a lot of time in, in the four years I've been here and, and, and well, well before I started, 
playing with all aspects of the way the rowing shell is set up and and so i mean the the distance down the boat between the two pins the height of the rower off the water uh, the positioning of the stretcher relative to where the pin is and all of these different things that necessarily customers don't think about i, I think the a common misconception is that all boats are kind of set up the same and so you might jump from a felipe to an empacker to a sykes and regardless of whether the uh, the hulls are different. People assume that the the cockpit is set out the same because they all look similar within a within a margin. What they don't realise is there's a lot of uh, fine adjustments in the spacings between where the rower sits relative to where their rigger is, relative to where their stretcher is, and how much spacing there is in between these people, and how the positioning of those rowers um, longitudinally down the shell can affect the way a, a boat can run. And we could change, we could have a boat that's not performing pretty well and all we would make is a maybe a 10 or a 20 mil adjustment of that rower position in the hull and all of a sudden we'd be getting like excellent reviews. Um, so we, we took that kind of long tradition of playing with all of these variables and, and tried to apply them to the Resolute Midweight 8. So, uh, so I'm, no, I'm just... Walk us through some of the changes that you made from for the old one to the new one. So the first one we did was we we looked at where the rower was sitting relative to the to the waterline, and it's um, obviously it's it's well known that if you drop the rower height down and, and closer to the water, the boat becomes more stable. You've dropped six hundred kilos of rower, or you know fifteen hundred pounds of rower um, closer to the water, so the center of gravity of the whole system drops and it makes the boat more stable. But if you get too close, it starts to play with the the angles of the biomechanics of where the uh, of where the oar height is relative to the seat and relative to the gate and relative to the water, and you start to change the vertical angles of the oars, which can make it difficult and and feel unusual to row. So we know from a uh, a long history of Sykes in sweep rowing that we we have a specific target that we we aim for, and we found that the Resolute boat. Uh, was was not quite on that mark. So we the first thing we did was was move the the rowing height uh, to the Sykes standard, um, and then we looked at the the fore and aft spacing. So how far down the boat are the rowers separated, and tried to bring them in as close as possible um, to reduce any turning moments on the boat, which uh, hopefully the coxswain will notice that the boat is less likely to steer off the start or something like that. Yeah, that, that's that's been our our two biggest feedbacks since we've changed has been the stability of the boat. And the coxswain. The coxswains are just saying it turns on a dime. It's a joy to row, joy to be in. Um, you've also made some changes to the structure of the boat. You went from a 30 mil core on the sides down to 12 mil. Um, the the thickened flange. I mean, what are some of the other changes that you can describe and explain why we, why we did what we did to that boat? So we've always looked at the Resolute build, and, and long before Sykes and Resolute were, were joined together, um, we sat in an in a engineering meeting one day, looking at the results of some, um, looking at the results of some analysis we had done on, on different hull structures and how we could change the shape of things internally to make the boat stiffer. And on, on the original glance, it looked like the Resolute setup the exist the old one was actually going to outperform the way the Sykes boat was built but mm. as we looked into it in more detail and made the model a little bit more accurate we actually saw that the, the flat Sykes deck with the with the bulkhead setup was actually doing a lot to making the uh, the boat a lot stiffer so and it also makes the boat simpler to from a build perspective so the, the first part was if we flatten the decks out we can make the the build simpler and the build faster which obviously helps to reduce the cost of the boat right. um, which is obviously been a big factor for resolute um 
and then with the fees of regulation starting to come into force, we had to provide sealed components and compartments under each deck uh, so to make sure that the, the boat sat at a certain float level when it was uh, when it was full of water. Mm. We get lots of good feedback on the little stainless steel inserts that we put in our flanges uh, that both protect the paintwork under, underneath the flange, but also provide a um, uh, a solution to stop the the rigger working and uh, working the holes and making them elongate over time in case sure. somebody doesn't do their rigger up tight enough. Hmm. Well, um, I mean, I know from my perspective where I sit, I mean, it's a, an impressive change in the boat. Now we do another major change is the pre-preg versus the wet layup. Uh, do you, can you explain to the, to, <laughs> to the audience from a technical standpoint, the differences of a wet layup versus a pre-preg system? Yeah. So it's been a, um, this is a, a long-standing area of discussion um, here to the relative benefits of the two. Um, at the end of the day, that the carbon that goes into the boat is exactly the same because the um, amount of fibre that you can put in is, is pretty strictly governed by how much weight you can add to the boat. Mm. And we all know that for an eight, you know, we're trying to get under the 96 kilo visa limit. So um, from a from a technical perspective, uh, there are some benefits from pre-preg production in terms of helping to control variances and other things in the, the production process that make it the boat easier to build, mm-hmm. but also it's harder to handle. You know, you've got to keep it frozen and, and, and those kind of things. From a customer point of view, I'm not sure that many people will uh, will notice the difference or, or, or benefit from it one way or the other. It, it's our job as boat builders to make sure that uh, we control the production processes to make sure that the boat at the end of the day is exactly what the customer wants and, and what is specified. And if you have very good processes in place, you'll you'll end up with a very similar boat, whether it's in wet layup or in pre-break. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's more from an internal, you know, factory management management point of view. So I mean, so it's you can't always tell. Um, the speed of a boat in a in a computer model. No, right? so absolutely. Are there a lot of things that Sykes does on the water uh, on the changes that you've made? I mean, do you do a lot of testing people rowing it and, and getting those feedbacks before you launch the boat? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the benefit of, of being where situated where we are is we're close to both um, the Melbourne and Geelong rowing scenes, and there's there are people rowing all year round at, at all levels from from school level whether we're designing a, a school training quad or, or where we're designing an elite racing single we have very close relationships with the australian institute of sport both the women's and the men's national training centers and we're often um, sending boats and components and other things up there for for their evaluation and it's very 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 important for us because at the end of the day we can produce the best technical boat or we can produce the lowest drag boat that, that on paper goes the fastest, but if people don't find it uh, suitable to row, then then you know we're barking up the wrong tree. So. From your perspective as an engineer, how is the speed of the bowl, how is the speed of the hull evaluated from an engineer's perspective? So there's, there's probably two parts to talk about. In our in-house design and development, we have a, a very kind of structured process, which is an analytical on-paper process for determining how uh, fast the hull is. And then I suppose the trickier question is, how do we want our customers, who obviously don't have access to that kind of analytical package, how do we want them to perceive how fast the, the so, boat so, is going? So, so dive in a little bit to the analytical side. Like, What are things that you evaluate 
and look at as you're designing? What are some of the things? So the first thing that we do is we obviously have a, a digital copy of the of the hull surface. Um, we have teamed up with a, a PhD professor in Adelaide who has written a evaluation code or uh, a mathematical version of uh, CFD or com computational fluid dynamics. Now, how would, do you think that there's a lot of people that have access to something like this, like other manufacturers, you think? have this ability? I have seen some evidence that people have used this professor's work, but unless you work with him, it's particularly hard to uh, understand or to leverage it to, to your benefit. Um, because of the, the nature of how a rowing boat moves and the fact that it's, it's surging up and down, which no other boats really encounter, and the shape of the rowing boat is so different to um, areas where lots of money have been spent, such as a container ship or maybe a speedboat hull. Mm -hmm. There's very little uh, research out there uh, that people can leverage off. So most of it is done from, even on the expert on the expert level, it's just subjective, um, you know, and time in the industry. They've they've tweaked little things here and there. They've built the boat, and then they've uh, seen uh, the result. But but all of those results aren't have never really been you know one second faster in 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 five races in a row you know they'll they might uh it's it's really just a subjective look at it well i don't know too many people that have been a coach mm. that have competed mm. have competed at a higher level and then designed and helped create rowing boats how has your experience rowing and coaching affected your ability to design a boat with this team here at, at sykes well, I think um, I think the most important part is learning how to communicate what we've done here in the factory and the research we've done to what that means for a coach um, at the at, you know who's at the coalface and being able to have the having sat in all of those camps, it, it makes it much easier to communicate the analytical part that we have done and translate that into real world outcomes. So, for example, last year at the Australian National Coaches Conference, I gave a presentation on how our schoolboy eight performed against the benchmark standards, being the Empacker boys eight, the Hudson boys eight, and the Felipe boys eight. Um, we went through and showed the performance of the boat in, in terms of how much wave drag it created, how much hull drag or, or skin friction drag, which is the drag created by the water brushing past the hull, and how those two things together, how they were changing um, as the speed profile of the boat changed. And we looked at a bunch of different uh, analytical, I suppose, results. Uh, but the part that was most interesting to, to people was how, was how you brought that back to what that meant for coaching. So those results showed us that during the course of the boat speeding up, the, the stern of the boat will sink by up to 30 or 40 mil, obviously, these are rough numbers, mm -hmm. um, and the bow will lift by 30 or 40 mil as the, the boat squats. And that's a hydrodynamic reality that you can't get away from. Um, anyone who tells you that their boat trims perfectly flat is lying because mm. the, essentially what's happening is as the boat is speeding up, it's trying to, it gets to a position where it's trying to climb out of its own bow wave, um, which is similar to when you take a speedboat and it's trying to come up and onto the plane right. and skim across the water. Unfortunately, the, um, for rowing, we operate right at the point where um, we operate right at the point where the boat is at its trying to climb over this really high bow wave, and, and it can't get over it. 
Um, it's equivalent to a, a plane trying to break through the speed of sound. Um, and uh, if any of your uh, listeners have, have seen photos, you can see a, a fighter jet passing through what, and it passes through this big cloud yeah, right. that suddenly appears as it breaks through the speed of sound. It requires a significant amount more energy and, uh, and power to get over that, that speed. Um, the, the, I think the part that the coaches took away the most was that um, looking at that is that if you have a bow seat rower who's struggling to get into the water, don't always necessarily think it's the issue of the bow seat rower. The boat's actually lifted by 30 or 40 mil. So if you think about that from the position of their hands, their gait, and where their oar is, wow. all of a sudden their bottom edge has to drop an extra 30 or 40 mil into the water. And the same goes for the And for the, the stroke, stroke seat, seat at the other end, now the water has come closer to the bottom edge of the blade. So if they're getting, if they're jumping in early or getting beaten in, it's often an indication. Well, it's sometimes an indication that the boat's actually healing or, or, or trimming down by the stern, and the water's coming up to meet their blade. I don't think it's something that people think about. They think the, the boat's always perfectly level, but it's it is quite a significant amount. You know, 30, oh, 30, 40, 30 40, 50 mil. You know, considering you know you for coaches you might make a uh, you might move a rower's gate one height spacer up or down, and you know, you know, I know from experience how much of an effect that can have on um, individual rowers. So just keeping those kind of things in the back of your mind, I think that's where taking the analytical side, knowing that's what the boat's doing as it speeds up, but also having the coaching experience to go, okay, well maybe you know when I was rowing a bow seat and I always found it hard to get in or I was always late, that that had more to do with it than perhaps the technical per, the technique know, of the person sitting there. Well, I've been doing this for 21 years. I don't think I've ever had that explained to me. And knowing that I've coached as much as I coach, I can actually remember boats and athletes that had always had trouble in certain key areas. And you're, you're right about that, about that adjustment mm. of the boat going through the water. And it, it's quite pronounced. Obviously, the boat is... Is, is pitching so it, it, it will it will go bow up bow down bow up bow down as the rowers move backwards and, and move forwards but the the average slope of the boat will change as the boat speeds up so it will still oscillate up and down up and down but yeah. the 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 bow will be more up and the stern more down as the boat speeds up so that kind of the average angle of the boat will change um, as the boat speeds up so this leads me to another question um you, we were talking about how subjective rowing is, <laughs> that it's not necessarily the, the physical speed of the boat, it's what people feel, right? So question, and again, going back to your real-world experiences of being a coach and of being uh, an athlete, how would you want our future customers or people in general to evaluate the speed of a hull when they're comparing other boats to, to one another? What would you want them to, how would you want them to evaluate the speed is it even possible other than subjective? Uh, being, being an engineer and a, and a realist, I always say use data where you can use data. So if you have the ability and if your athletes are consistent enough that you can produce some sort of side-by-side -side or trial-by-trial -trial data, then I would always say that's the best approach. Having coached for a long time, you realize that, that to get equal conditions where you might swap a boat out in between or put two semi-equal crews in, in boats and, and swap over, it is particularly difficult to ever get the set of conditions that would mean that you could compare these directly. Well, I mean, just even, even having, let's say, one kid in the boat hates 
Sykes, mm. or they hate yeah. Presley, they, mm. that will just mm. naturally make the boat go slower. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And and we see it with the schoolgirl, uh, sorry, with the school markets and the club markets, you know, people just tend to think that yellow goes faster, um, even though they have no underlying evidence or um, apart from a subjective opinion, which has come from somewhere, you know, we're not always sure where, where these where these biases come from. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, the Ampacker boats have, have, have featured a lot in, in Olympic-level events, and, and we think that's where some of it comes from. But we know from an uh, analytical level and all of the research we've done over a long time that our hulls have outperformed and can outperform uh, the Ampackers, both on the stability that the, the boat can produce or the, the inherent stability of the shell, but also the, the drag performance. Um, so, you know, that's on to us to make sure that we communicate that better and, and people understand what the importance of those things are. And that this is one of the reasons why we try and go out to coaches' conferences and other and things and present presenties. these things where people can have the chance to ask questions um, and... and yeah. So maybe there is no right answer. I mean, maybe no, absolutely no, not. Yeah. That, sure, well, I would love to use mm. data when I can use data. Yeah. And, but you're right, it is impossible mm. to set. Even if you did a series of 500-meter pieces, um, after the third or fourth, you're already tired. Yeah. So anything that you're using at that point is irrelevant. Absolutely. And I think until you get to the Olympic level, the um, results from seat racing, results from um, comparative testing – just the individual variances you get within your athletes um, or conditions or, or you know, crosswinds or anything can mean that you can throw any results out. From the analysis we've done, we've shown that, you know, the, the, the differences you get in hulls might be half a percent, one percent. We're talking one second over one or two seconds over a thousand metres. Um, and it's very, very hard to create testing scenarios that would allow you to pick up that kind of change. Yeah, and it's funny, right? Um, at, a cer- at certain levels of rowing, that one second does mean mm. the victory of yeah. a gold medal. But for 90% of rowing out there, one second is not going to matter a whole lot. Because, sure, the boat might be faster by one second to another, but the bow seat could have a really crappy day. Mm. <laughs> or stroke seat got dumped by his girlfriend, and he's, just, he's not feeling it to that day, yeah, right? Absolutely. I, I, lo- I love what you're saying, and um, I hope that as more time spent here and, and we start evaluating these hulls, um, teams can better understand what they're actually buying and, and that it is more subjective and that we do have the boats that are by and large faster or as fast as the other boats out there. Nick, a, a consistent conversation I have with coaches, and I think you know where I'm going with this with stability or comfort, is mm-hmm. which is which is which is better. Okay, um, I want to talk about how stability and speed um, functions within the realm of available boats in the market. Now, you and I get, are lucky here to see a graph, and, I'm, and I kind of want to explain this to the to the to the listeners. Um, speed is the x-axis, y, y, and then the x-axis stability okay so we know and i know this from rowing for many years that the empacker and the philippia are a more stable boat to row and less stable is the hudson and and even the resolute can you just explain to the people here listeners the difference between stability and speed and how this graph functions yeah so what we Essentially, most most people in rowing believe that there's a direct trade-off between the speed of the boat and the stability of the boat. 
And that is, some of that is correct. Um, mostly the available boats on the market uh, have usually either been very fast performing hulls if you had the skill or the ability to row them. But for example, we, Sykes has produced a, a boat for the last 10 years, which has been, if you've got the ability to row it, it's very good for you, but it's quite, can be quite unforgiving. And so if you, your crew doesn't have the skill to row it, uh, it, it's a nightmare to row hmm. versus um, a more stable boat which is generally been a, a, a bottom a boat with a flatter bottom that's generally how people pick it they look for the uh, a big flat bottom or a u-shape through the middle of the boat and use that as an indication that the, the boat is more stable um, what we tried to do in the last round of, of hull design here at Sykes was that we tried to break the idea that you had to trade speed and stability so if your listeners could could see the graph um, up in in one corner of the graph at high speed low stability uh, we have some boats and and at the other end we've got low um, lower speed in terms of they the hulls produce more drag and therefore more resistance uh, but they have higher stability and it looks like um, from the graph it, it kind of paints a picture that you have to trade um, one for the other we do see hull designs that manage to kind of break that trend and, and pick up speed with, mm-hmm. um, while picking up stability as well or hold their speed values from a very slimline hull with bad stability and improve on that stability without necessarily increasing lots of drag. So, okay, so we both know that majority of the boats out at the Olympic level are Flippy mm. and, and Bakker, mm. right, which are at the furthest point of the stability mm. but at the lowest speed. Yeah. Resolute and the Sykes are on the higher end of the speed, but on harder to, to, to stabilize. What we've done combining resources in the team, I believe, based on what I experienced so far, is we've moved both boats into the stability and then up on the speed curve. Now, we're in the middle of testing that, but do you think that... Well, I guess what I'm, what I'm seeing here is the argument is that Forget about the speed of the boat. They're pretty close. You should just make a boat that's really easy to row, right? You just get big, strong men or women as long as they can keep that boat, I mean, really straight and stable, they're going to win. And what do you think about that? Well, it's always been a part of rowing that I, I necessarily haven't understood. I think for, for Sykes, we experimented, well, we produced a boat. It was it was called the Mold 40. We've been selling it for, for 10 years. It's been a very highly successful boat. It's won lots of national championships. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said before, it's one of those boats that's a little bit less forgiving. But when you get it up and running, it seems to work really well for you. So I understand the, the argument that you should look towards a high stability boat um, if you're looking at a school, you know, in Australia, if you're looking at a schoolboy, schoolgirl level or, or, you know, the first couple of years of college. But at the elite level, I, I haven't quite understood why these programs, the national programs are still, are still making that sacrifice because they definitely have rowers that have the capability. And maybe it's a, a lack of understanding on their end or uh, people wanting to maintain with the status quo, but it's definitely one of those areas I look at in rowing and go, I think there's something that people are missing here and perhaps you know that's our job as as boat manufacturers to do a better job of communicating that perhaps there are boats that can be less resistant or you know or can be faster for them given the skill level that they have now that's not that's not a given for all of our customers and learning the lessons we had from the mold 40 where it had lots of supporters but it also had lots of critics for being quite uh hard to row mm-hmm. um we made a, a a seismic shift in the way that we went about designing a boat to push its stability as high as we could without 
without reducing its uh, drag or you know its very good drag performance, which was something that we've actually been able to achieve and we're very proud of. So I want to uh, go back to a point uh, you were going back before the importance of good biomechanics in a hull and the differences of all these boats. Can you can you just spend a little bit more time explaining what what we were talking about there earlier? Yeah, absolutely. So it's probably important for your listeners to understand Sykes has a an analytical package um, that we we designed both in house and and in conjunction with a, a, a professor at, at the Adela- Adelaide University where we. Uh, where we look at the the analytical performance of the of the hull, mm-hmm. but these take into a, they don't take into account any of the biomechanical changes um, between the hull. So we assume that for every boat, the rowers are set at the same spacing, they're set at the same height to the water, the rowers all weigh the same in order to just give us a straight up and down um, difference in the hull performance. What we don't take into account is do the boat builders set their boats at or set their rowers at different heights or different spacings or or have things moving slightly differently and that's where they might pick up some favor as opposed to what our results show what these straight up and down Uh results show and that's done deliberately so we get a clear picture of the uh the benefit that the hull itself is is producing um ignoring all the other or holding all the other factors constant we know from lots and lots of experience tinkering with athlete spacings so the how far you move how far you have the athletes apart down the boat and athlete heights relative to the water relative to the rigor and and, um, obviously relative to the blade um, that we can make dramatic changes to how the boat feels um, in terms uh, of, of shifting or playing with those variables i think the most important one is getting the seat to water height right in terms of the the athlete is sitting at the right height above the water if you get it too high, the boat becomes um, less responsive. I'm oh, sorry, it becomes easier to roll. You're lifting the center of gravity of the rower. And the rower is obviously by far the heaviest component of the system. Um, in a single scale, you've got an 80 kilo rower in a, in a 14 kilo boat. Um, in an eight, you've got you know, 800 kilos of rowers in a, in a 90 kilo boat. So if you lift that rower up by a little bit, you're, you, you lift the center of gravity of the, of the combined is system. There a, is, there a, is there a special height that makes the most sense? Yeah, so we've seen over time that most boat builders tend towards nine centimeters between seat and water. Now, it is something we encourage our, um, our customers to, to try and understand because if they try and jump from boat to boat to boat, or from, sorry, from boat builder to boat builder, especially if they, we've seen some of our elite customers go overseas and change boat brands, they have trouble with the setup. And the, the part that coaches don't often realize is that not all boats are set with the seat height the same huh. off the water. So they'll measure seat to heel and hit, you know, and then seat to gate and set it up all the same. But all of a sudden, like, they, get, they go out on the water and they can't quite figure it out. So I would encourage your coaches who are listening to, to have a think about measuring the distance or the height that the seat is off the water, especially if you want to compare boats or How you're you jumping between boats. So we have a couple of ways of measuring it. It's obviously, it's hard to do because you never get perfectly flat water, but the, the easiest way is put your athletes in the boat, put a, le- a, a spirit level across the flanges, make sure the boat is level and measure down from the top of the flange down to the top of the water. And within probably five to 10 mil, you will get an understanding for where you are. Oh, wow. So you would then measure flange to water and then you would also measure flange to seat and you would subtract those from each other and you would find out how far the seat is. And then how do you make adjustments for the athletes? 
So you can make adjustments. Um, Sykes boats and Resolute boats have the ability to put seat packers in between the, um, the, the seat carriage and the seat and you can pack them up and down. The, a standard Sykes boat can, um, with standard adjustment, can drop the seat 12 mil and come up. Uh, the seat can raise 12 mil, which is quite significant. Yeah. And I would encourage you, if you can't quite figure out what's right, to play around with, with some of these things. So the nine, so you're telling me nine centimeters seat to water. For sweep rowing is generally what we found and, and what we work to generally for our hull designs. The benefit of having fully computer-driven um, CAD Software packages is we can tell exactly to the millimetre where the water level will be for given athlete weights, which allows us to very accurately position um, the, the the rower when we when we design these boats. What is the difference in developing a quad, a single, an eight, a pair? No, I mean, what goes into? What are the differences that you look? For in engineering and your design of doing these boats and the different sizes? So the the underlying surface design or the, the shape of the hull is probably very similar through the initial stages. So we are looking for hull shapes that perform well um, in terms of how much wave drag they produce and how much uh, skin friction drag they're inducing, which is the resistance of the water moving past the hull, as I touched on before. Once we're, once we're past the the shape of the hull and and we're happy with the the shape keeping in mind that different boats a single or a pair or a quad their race speeds or their optimum race speeds are quite different you know you might see a racing eight you might perform and try and optimize the hull for schoolboys in australia we would optimize a hull for around six minute pace Mm -hmm. and some hulls that perform well at six minute pace won't perform well or won't perform as well at seven minute pace compared to the other boats that are in that set. So we would look at the world's best times for those um, for those boat classes, depending on what boat. We looked at a, a single scale for the for the Olympics, and so we found the the single the, the single scale race times, and we would optimize the single scale to perform best at those race speeds. Mm. But as some of your listeners might have might know, a boat that performs well at paddling speed relative to another boat it may be the opposite by the time you get up to race speed that that is that is the exact message that we get from every resolute Mm. owner it looks like they're rowing in mud at a 20 Mm. and but you then you get up to race speed and the thing flies um is the same thing happen at the m40 for sykes i mean is that the same yeah concept yeah so we spoke in the in the last segment about how the 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 boat dynamically trims down by the stern or the, yeah. or the boat sinks or squats um, by the stern um, as the as the boat picks up speed regardless of the the pitching that's induced by the rowers moving back and forward um and i think sykes we we try and design the the the, the shell so that the athlete position means that the boat is as level as possible in its average position as it approaches race speed but in order to do that the boat has to travel nose down at low speed Mm. and i think this is the part that people they they'll look at a boat see it traveling nose down or or what in australia is sometimes called porpoising um and they will immediately disregard the boat because it looks like it might be diving into the front what you need to take into account is as that boat speeds up, it will it will come through and, and, and sit at a much more level plane. So we, we tinker a lot with the positioning of the rowers, fore and aft or front and back, 
to make sure that at race speed, the boat is traveling as flat as possible. And that there's quite, that's quite a delicate science. I could imagine. But so then going back to the question when you develop, you start at the top speeds at the Olympic level, right? And you find from in terms of the length of the hull, the shape of the hull, and then the, the mechanics of the interior, you do all your you do all your engineering things on on your computer, right? You work with that the professor on doing this. I don't know what, do you, what were you calling it before. Yeah, that, well, it's hydrogen. It's it's fluid dynamics. Fluid dynamics. Yeah. So once we once we've done that, we move into the actual the build phase or the so the design of the of the internal structure of the boat. So usually the rule we we approach with is that we will take the hull surface and whatever the analysis package shows us the hull shape should be, that becomes our verbatim, you know, our untouched untouchable surface below the waterline mm -hmm. we will then bring that surface in and make any adaptions to it to allow it to be easier for a rower to use so for example in a sykes quad we might flare the flanges out locally in some areas which means we can put four riggers of all the same width in the four seats so if mm -hmm. someone chooses to row it bow side rig stroke side rig with a tandem in the middle they're not needing four or five or ten extra riggers for a quad to do right. that which we know is a big uh a big issue with our customers, you know. Uh, so, for example, our eight, our current generation eights, and we're working through this with Resolute at the moment, can can be stroke rigged, bow rigged, and tandemed in a number of different configurations without any extra um, right. riggers required, which is huge for our customers because well, that, that's a cost. The riggers cost lots of money. Yeah, mm. and we're going to put that back. And you've got to and you've got to store them somewhere. That's miserable. Mm. No, I know exactly. It, uh, that, that's okay. So then. If that's the case, I mean, how are we constantly coming up with better hull designs and better shapes if we've kind of already reached a peak speed? I mean, athletes are not getting that much faster, right? Incremental. Um, what changes go? What what other changes are you looking at uh, in these hull designs in these boats? The the design of the hull is an ever changing. Um, it is an ever changing. It is an ever changing thing. It's quite subtle. Um, it's it can be quite hard for people to see a change between between two boats, but if uh, if you know what you're looking for, you can recognise that the changes are um, that the changes are, are always coming and, and ever present. I think it's hard. Um, it's the underlying or the, the shape of the hull. It's it's not a it's not a linear process of design. It's not like okay, we've got a hull that performs it at this level. We want to. Design a hull that we performs at this level. Okay, we'll just go out and do the work. The it's a lot of it, it is a trial and error method. We have known shapes and curves and things that that have worked for us in the past in certain bits, but also there's other shapes out there that haven't yet been discovered by us or by other boat builders that might work. So it is uh, there's a lot more trial and error involved in in designing it some of this can be done on computer but some of it we don't understand until we build the physical boat and go and row it and go that worked really well or no this doesn't work as well at all um, mm. and that's a, a much more iterative approach um, as opposed to just a piece of software that says this is the best boat you'll ever be able to build i think i think customers don't understand or comprehend the cost that goes into mm. this process mm. you know, there are three or four full-time engineers mm. here you have machine. Then you have machines that are um, 
tens of hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars. Um, how much faster do you think we are going to go in the sport of rowing? If the fastest eight is 5.14 or 5.16, mm-hmm. I mean, how much faster can we go uh, with where we are today? I mean, what do you think is possible? I think there, I think there's probably a scope to keep extracting percentages by percentages by percentages. You know, a little bit, 1% by 1% by 1%. And I think as we, um, as we push towards being able to, with higher performance materials and other things, you know, let's say we're capped at the 96 kilo phaser weight for an eight. As, as these higher performance materials and better processes come in, we can get more carbon into the boat and keep it under certain weights. You will see benefits there. We, we, we do know of an experiment where a boat builder built the highest stiffness boat they could physically build, just ignoring the weight weight of it. The boat was overweight by by far, but the boat became so stiff that it was unrowable uh, because it was so, it became so twitchy and the, oh, sure. and the, and the boat didn't absorb the little you know fluctuations and variations between the rows and became unrowable. So it kind of shows to us in the development side that there is a a limit to how stiff the boat can be before it becomes unbearable. Um, so we will keep pushing up to, to that point, but obviously being limited by the the, the, the racing weight that we, we have to stay under, which that boat wasn't limited to. I think unless we see a drastic shape change, as in if someone produced a rowing boat with a two, with a cat, as a catamaran as opposed to a, a mono hull, and there's no reason why they can't do that, um, the FISA regulations don't stipulate that it has to be a mono hull. There are very few regulations in rowing. Um, you're not allowed to play with the surface or the bank. You, you can't rub special chemicals and those sure. things. And it has to have certain flotation requirements. But apart from that, there's very few restrictions on the shape of it. So I think it'll take somebody to do something a bit outlandish for it to to go much further than, than where we are now. Do you think it's possible to... Uh, just more questions. Do you think it's possible to 3D print a boat? I, uh, technically, it's possible. Whether you'd want to do it, I, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, it would. It would be ridiculously expensive, <laughs> but it also the, the the strength and durability of carbon fibers way outweighs the um, the strength of, and, and and durability of a, of a three D printed structure at the moment. So yeah, it could be done, and we, we use three D printing a lot in prototyping. But in terms of putting it out there as a production boat, I think we're still at least 10 years off from being able to see that kind of technology. This, this has been a big education for me, uh, and I really enjoyed this. So thank you for, uh, for answering these questions. Later on this week while I'm here in Australia, I'll be talking to some more engineers and some of the boat builders so that you become a little bit more educated on what we do on a day-to-day basis, what they do uh, on a day-to-day basis, and, and showing um, the differences of, of the Sykes and Resolute versus others. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed. This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. Rower's Choice is made up of finish line shell repair, Resolute Racing Shells, and Sykes USA.